Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. Hope you enjoyed family, friends, good food. I hope as you were doing that, you were able to uh, just pause and give thanks to the Lord for all of His goodness in your life. Uh, His Word tells us that His mercies are new every morning. And I pray that was uh, something you experienced and enjoyed and thought about and gave thanks to the Lord for uh, this past week. It's always a blessing to open up the scriptures and to, to preach God's word, and that's a particular joy for me to, to join you all here today to worship with you and to open up God's word with you. So thank you for allowing me to, to join you. My hope and prayer for today is that you'll be encouraged from God's word as we look at it together. Let me invite you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 where we'll spend our time together this morning. I find Paul's letter to the Galatians to be helpful for a a number of reasons. Paul is very passionate and very clear about what the gospel is in this letter. And the passage we will look at together, chapter 5, verses 19 through 25, is encouraging because it helps us to understand what fruit our lives should be producing if we belong to Christ. So let's begin our time together by reading God's word, Galatians 5. I'll start reading beginning in verse 16, just to give us a little bit of uh, context. So Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is, no, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let me pray for us once more. Father, it is our heart, it is our desire to hear from you this morning. So we ask that your Spirit would shine a light on this text would you give us understanding? Would you use your word to change your people, to transform our likeness, to transform our lives into the likeness of Jesus Christ? May we be hungry for your word and ready to receive it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So this past summer, my, my wife and I and our little kids took a short trip to the town where I grew up to celebrate with my parents as they celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. My parents renewed their vows, and it was, a, it was a sweet time. It was moving to see the love that they still have for one another. Sometime later, after we got home, it, it crossed my mind. Wouldn't it be a good idea just to ask couples who have spent decades together in a world where so many marriages fall apart and don't last, what's been the key for you guys? What's made the difference in your marriage? So pretend with me for just a moment that I ask that question, and, and a seasoned couple responds, well, you have to love each other. I think everyone would nod their head and say, well, yeah, you you need to love each other. But what exactly does that look like practically to love your spouse for 50 years? 
I mean, after all, love can mean, the word love can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. Now, if an 80-year-old man started telling me, look, here's the key. You need to love her, and here's what that looks like. You need to be quick to tell her you're sorry and ask for her forgiveness. And you need to ask her how you can help her and be ready to do what she needs. And you need to keep telling her that you love her because even though you both know it's true, she still needs to hear it. And you need to keep giving her new experiences of joy. Keep having fun with her and laughing with her and having long conversations with her and keep sacrificing for her. Make sure she still knows how important she is to you. Well, now I have a better idea, don't I, of what it looks like to love my spouse than if all I was told was, you need to love her. As we return to Galatians this morning, I've been here with you a number of times by God's grace, and each time I've been here, we've been in Galatians, so if you can, try to go back in time with me a little bit and remember a little bit of the ground that we've covered, even though it's been over a long period of time. Paul is going to give us the key to gaining victory over our sin and our flesh, and the reason this passage is a treasure for us is because he will then walk us through the details of what we need to do. In verse 17 of chapter 5, one of the verses I just read, Paul told us there's a war going on within us. Our sinful nature, the flesh, and the spirit are opposed to one another. And the good news is, Paul said in verse 18, if we walk by the spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, Paul will tell us in this text that we can be victorious over our sin and flesh. But if that's going to happen, the key is the spirit. And that's what this text is all about. We must live by the Spirit. But much like telling someone to live their life by loving people, telling someone to live by the Spirit can sound pretty vague to us. And different people may take that and apply it in different ways. Thankfully, Paul will grab us by the hand and walk with us to show us what it looks like to live by the Spirit. So I see five things in this text that we need to know if we're going to live by the Spirit. And look with me. At verse 19, where we will see the first thing we need to know if we're going to live by the Spirit, we need to know what life in the flesh looks like. We need to know what life in the flesh looks like. So verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In verses 19 through 23, Paul will lay out for us the works of the flesh and then the fruit of the Spirit. He begins here in verse 19 with the works of the flesh. Now remember, Paul has told us that the Spirit and the flesh are opposed to one another, but if we walk by the Spirit, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Since the natural question that arises then is how do we know if we're walking by the Spirit or by the flesh, Paul begins by showing us what life in the flesh looks like. And after this, he'll show us what life in the Spirit looks like. And notice, before he walks through the works of the flesh, he tells us that the works of the flesh are what? They're evident. In other words, you don't have to look too hard to figure out if someone's life is producing works of the flesh. They are not hard to figure out. Then he begins to list them for us. And they can be grouped together in four categories. The first three are sexual sins. The next two are sins related to idolatry. The next eight are social sins, and the final two are sins of indulgence. We'll move through these pretty quickly, but I'll pause on some longer than others. The first three, sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality, are all common words in Scripture to refer to sins of a sexual nature. 
These would include anything that goes beyond God's good gift of sex between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. And certainly, this would include pornography. The next two, idolatry and sorcery, may seem a little less straightforward at first. These would include pagan worship practices like worshiping idols. But at a deeper level, what's, what's going on when someone engages in these types of activities, idolatry, sorcery? When someone engages in things like this, especially something like sorcery or magic, they are seeking to manipulate circumstances to bring about something they want. On a most basic level, what this reveals is a lack of trust in God because they're trying to get something through some other means besides God. The next eight words, I'll describe social sins. These are sins that stir up conflict and disharmony with brothers and sisters in the church. These occur within personal relationships with others. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Now, it's possible some of us got through the sexual sins and the sins related to idolatry, and we were feeling pretty good about ourselves. And then we see this list. When we see the list of social sins, we're reminded that every one of us will face these temptations. We all know what it's like to be jealous. We've all sinned in anger. Everyone has experienced envy. These are common struggles, aren't they? Many of these probably hit close to home, and yet, these are works of the flesh. Paul rounds out his list with two sins of excess or self-indulgence, drunkenness, and orgies. Most commentators agree the word translated orgies is likely referring to a wild party that involves drinking and indulging one's flesh in other ways, including sexual immorality. And then he says, and things like these. In other words, this list isn't exhaustive. It's representative. Paul didn't list every single sin he could have listed, but he listed quite a few to give us an idea if we're trying to walk by the Spirit This is a diagnostic tool to help us understand, first of all, what it looks like to live by the flesh. What Paul is saying is that these works are produced by the flesh. They are evidence of a heart that is still enslaved to sinful desires. In Matthew 7, Jesus talks about the fruit in our lives, and this is what he says. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Paul is going to describe two kinds of trees for us in this text. The first is the disease tree that bears bad fruit. The works of the flesh are the fruit that indicate there's a problem. The tree is diseased. It's not producing good fruit. And what comes next is a very strong warning that may shock some of us. He says, I warn you, as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's strong language, isn't it? According to Paul, the flesh is deadly. If your life is characterized by works of the flesh, this should be like the check engine light coming on in your car warning you that there's an issue under the hood that needs to be dealt with. If you keep going on like you are right now, it's not going to end well. I think one clarification needs to be made. Paul is not saying if you have ever gotten jealous of someone, if you have ever engaged in sexual immorality, if you have ever done any of the sins here on this list, that you are now outside the kingdom of God. But rather, what is your life characterized by? Does this list 
describe your life? Is your life marked by these sins and others? If so, let, this, let the warning from Paul be a warning to you. Those who make a practice of doing these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Because the works of the flesh, if that's the fruit our life is producing, it reveals that we may have never truly been transformed by the gospel. But let me remind us, Christians still sin, don't we? We still sin. Christians can even backslide and may have an intense struggle with a particular sin for a period of time. But struggle is the key word. Believers do not just give ourselves over to a sinful lifestyle. We do not just walk in unrepentant sin. We are prone to wonder. We are prone to leave the God we love. But those who belong to Jesus will be awakened from their slumber, and their course will be corrected. They will repent and turn away from their sin, and they will seek to please the Lord with their lives. Paul says something very similar in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. through he says, and do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul provides a list in those verses I just read that is similar in some respects to the list here in Galatians. But then he adds, but what, and such were some of you. This reminds us that the gospel transforms us from the inside out. This list Paul has given us of works of the flesh used to characterize a lot of us. But by God's grace, we are not who we once were. Our old self died with Christ. We were buried with him. We were raised with him. And we are brand new people because of Christ. So Paul can say, and such were some of you. As the hymn writer John Newton put it, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. This leads us to the second kind of fruit Paul will describe for us, the fruit of the Spirit. The second thing we need to know if we're going to live by the Spirit is what life in the Spirit looks like. What life in the Spirit looks like. So let's pick back up in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The first list Paul showed us was the works of the flesh. Now Paul introduces us to the fruit of the Spirit. And it's no accident that the one at the very front of the list is love. As Paul pointed out to us previously in Galatians, the the whole law is fulfilled in one word, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the mark of a new life in Christ. Christians are marked with love because God has poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Our Savior demonstrated love for us by hanging on a cross in our place for our sin. John 15, 13 reminds us, greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. Jesus showed us what it looks like to love. If we want to know what the fruit of the Spirit looked like, we can look to Christ. Paul continues, next is joy. 
I think it's important that we understand joy is far more than appearing bubbly or happy all the time. Sometimes I think we get this a little bit confused. Joy is a deep abiding trust in God in all circumstances. Joy is what allowed Job to respond to the loss of his children by saying, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Joy is what made the Apostle Paul seem so invincible to us. Joy is what allowed him to sing praises to God while locked up in a jail cell. Joy is what allowed him to trust God to provide everything he needed in the worst of situations. Joy is what allowed Paul to say and to believe with conviction that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Joy is what allowed Paul to say and to believe with conviction that I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul wasn't saying he never got sad or discouraged. That's not what it means to have joy. Paul had a deep abiding trust in God that he was working for Paul's good in all circumstances. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Jesus knew he was bringing salvation to us and he was doing the Father's will, so he endured the cross with joy. Sometimes joy may look like laughing and big smiles, but not always. It's a deep, abiding trust in God, even in the hardest of moments. Next is peace. Peace begins with the reconciliation we have with God through Christ. Christ is our peace. He made peace with us who were once his enemies through the cross. But Christ has also brought peace to Jews and Gentiles through his blood. People who were once enemies have been brought together and now peace, brothers and sisters, peace should rule in the church. If the church is marked by brothers and sisters quarreling over this or that, something is wrong. Peace should mark our lives and it should mark our relationships. Earlier this year, around the spring or summer, I think there was a shooting in downtown Austin. I mean, I, I haven't done research, but it just seems like if you turn on the news, listen to the radio, there, there's always something, something horrific happening in, around the world. There, it, it seems like shootings have just become a normal thing that we hear about and have gotten used to, quite frankly. We live in a fallen world. And so often it feels like it is marked by violence and hatred, not by peace. Christians should shine like a light in the darkness because we should be peacemakers. And ultimately, we should long for heaven where there will be peace and righteousness unlike anything we have experienced. And we should be working in this world to get the gospel to some of the darkest places so that peace can be experienced there and can rule there as much as possible in this fallen world. Now, patience is next. I'll just speak for myself, but I think we need help here. I get impatient with my little kids often. I get impatient in traffic. I get impatient first thing in the morning when my coffee won't, when my Keurig won't make my coffee as fast as I would like it to. No sooner than my two feet hit the ground first thing in the morning do I typically find something uh, to get impatient about. And something tells me I'm not completely alone in this. Our culture thrives on getting everything we want in life instantly, at the click of a button. And even then, it's, always, it's not always fast enough for us. Are you able to keep your cool, even in a difficult situation, 
or do you lash out when things don't go according to your plan? Another word we could insert here is long-suffering. This is how God is described in the scriptures. He has been unbelievably long-suffering toward us as we sin against him. He is slow to get angry. Jesus was long-suffering as he was beaten and mocked and spit upon, and he absorbed all of it with patience beyond our imagination so that we could have life. And we, too, are called to be patient. Kindness. Once again, this begins with God. God has shown us his kindness in loving us who were unlovable and sending his son to die for us when we deserve to die in our sin. We imitate God's kindness anytime we are loving and generous to others, but especially when we love others who may not reciprocate our love. Goodness is similar to kindness. When people see our lives, they should see that we are good, moral, and decent people, and this should give our lives a certain attractiveness to a watching world that has its eyes on Christians, that has its eyes on the church to see how we are acting, how we are speaking. Faithfulness describes someone who is dependable. When they say they are going to do something, they keep their word. They are loyal. They can be counted on. You know that that person is going to do what they said they would do. Gentleness. Our Savior was described as gentle and lowly. He doesn't deal with us harshly. He understands that we are sinners. He understands that we are weak, and he is gentle with us. We, too, are called to gently correct others and not to interact with others in forceful or harsh ways. Self-control. With the Spirit's help, we are able to restrain ourselves, unlike someone who is dominated by the desires of the flesh and just acting like an animal. Self-control is important. How else are we going to be able to deny ourselves and say no to our sinful desires if we do not have self-control? If the first list gave evidence of a heart that is still enslaved to the flesh and thus produces works of the flesh, then this list gives evidence of a heart where the Spirit is at work and is producing godly fruit. If you look at this tree, you see good, healthy fruit, which tells us there is life. Look at what he says at the end of verse 23. It says, against such things there is no law. In other words, there's no law to restrain these behaviors. When you're walking in these fruit of the Spirit, you're, you're fulfilling the law. We do not need to hold these back. They need to burst forth from our lives and be ever-increasing. So that's what the fruit looks like. Paul has shown us the works of the flesh and now the fruit of the Spirit. And all of us long to see this, the fruit of the Spirit produced in our lives, don't we? So what do we do with this now? How do we see more fruit growing in our lives? Do we simply need to say no to works of the flesh and say yes to fruit of the Spirit? Do we just need to try harder and conjure them up with our lives and our hard work? To do that, I think, would be to miss Paul's point entirely. He's intentionally used the language of fruit. Fruit to describe what the, what the Spirit produces in our lives. Because this is a work the Spirit must do, and it's about far more than just doing things. Fruit shows, up, fruit shows us something is alive. If a, tree, if a tree is producing fruit, we know the tree is alive and its roots are going down into the soil and it's the same with us. We need far more than to try to make these behaviors show up in our lives. Paul Tripp, 
gives an illustration that's really helpful. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. He says, imagine I have an apple tree in my backyard. And one day my wife points out that there aren't any apples growing on that tree. Would it make sense for me to just go outside, grab my ladder, and staple some pictures of fruit on those tree branches? Well, of course not. Because apples have to be produced by the tree. If apples aren't growing, you have a much deeper issue. You have a tree that is dead or diseased. You need to address the root problem. When we try to manufacture fruit in our lives, we're, we're stapling apples on a dead tree. Thankfully, Paul will help us to understand what it looks like for us to actively pursue fruit in our lives through the power of the Spirit. So the third thing we need to know if we're going to live by the Spirit is how to deal with our flesh. How to deal with our flesh. Look at verse 24. Notice the language Paul uses here. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So let me ask you this morning, how do you view your sinful desires? Your sinful nature, when it calls out to you, as it does to all of us, to give in to temptation, do you view it as something that, in the language Paul just used, needs to be crucified? Paul uses crucifixion language to get our attention. A lot of Christians talk about fighting sin and seeking to put it to death because this is, this is good biblical language. But here Paul takes it even a step further than that. At first glance, we may notice this describes something we did in the past, and it, it happened at our conversion. When we repented and turned away from our sins, we nailed our former life to the cross with Christ. That already took place. But this is also describing our ongoing attitude toward our sin and our flesh. We make sure our sin stays on the cross. That's, this is something we are called to do. Much of our approach and our effectiveness in killing our sin will depend on how we view our sin. We have some insects, like many of you I'm sure, that will find their way into our home from time to time. And I can tell you, I treat those little bugs, roly-polies is what I call them. I don't know what they're actually called that roll up in a little ball to protect themselves. I treat roly-polies very differently than I treat spiders. Roly-polies I will pick up and I will play with and I'll hand it to my boys and let them play with it and have fun with it. My boys aren't always as kind or as gentle as I am. I think they haven't figured out their own strength yet. But spiders, on the other hand, I don't get along with spiders so well. My wife will tell you if I see a spider, first of all, I have to go find a large enough object, like a big shoe or something, to use as a weapon, large enough to make sure that when I make contact, there's still some distance between me and the spider that I'm about to hit. Then, once I start going after it, I get way more aggressive than is probably necessary to kill a small little spider. I don't stop swinging until I know that thing is dead. I fear too many of us view our sin more like a tiny little roly-poly and less like those vicious spiders that I come across. You insert whatever creature you would be the most afraid of, and if that entered into your home, let's just say it was a lion entering into your home looking to devour you, that's how you should view your sin, and that's how you should treat it. If we're going to treat our sin like that, we're going to have to see our sin for what it, for what it is outright rebellion against a holy God. Our sin grieves the heart of God. It's rebellion against the God who sent his only son to die for us. John Stotts provided some helpful thoughts on crucifying our flesh. Here's, here's what he says. If besetting sins persistently plague us, 
It is as if, having nailed our old nature to the cross, we keep wistfully returning to the scene of its execution. We begin to caress it, to long for its release, even to try to take it down again from the cross. We need to learn to leave it there. When some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our mind, we must kick it out at once. It is fatal to begin to examine it and consider whether we are going to give into it or not. We have declared war on it. We are not going to resume negotiations. We have settled the issue for good. We are not going to reopen it. We have crucified the flesh. We are never going to draw the nails out again. Crucifying our flesh involves identifying not only what we've done wrong, but seeking to understand why we felt we needed it in the first place. Remember, it goes deeper than just the sinful behaviors that we see sprout up. What was it that was motivating me to act in that way in the first place? That's what we're after. And that's one reason we need at least one trusted believer in our lives that can help us to see those things, to identify those things. We need someone we trust in our life who loves Jesus and will help us in our war on the flesh. Some of us have been engaged in the same sin patterns for a long time. When we start trying to crucify our desires of the flesh, there is going to be a hard-fought battle and we're going to need help. Well, it's important that we understand that going in. Find at least one person who can pray with you, ask you how you're doing, help you to get back up when you stumble, and challenge you to continue to fight. And you should work together helping each other in your fight against sin, helping each other to kill the roots so that the bad tree will die and the fruit will die. Or as one pastor put it, like any good gardener knows, we must kill the weeds or they will strangle the fruit. And after we're done doing the hard work of crucifying our flesh, we still have work to do. The fourth thing Paul says we need to know if we're going to live by the Spirit is how to keep in step with the Spirit. How to keep in step with the Spirit. The way that we reject our sinful flesh and instead see fruit growing in our lives is to live by the Spirit. The two main ways we see that we live by the Spirit in this text are by crucifying our flesh, which we've just considered, and by keeping in step with the Spirit, which we will focus on now. Look at verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So in this chapter, we've seen the language of walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit. Some of these are more active on our part and some are more passive. Being led by the Spirit, for example, involves the Spirit taking initiative and leading us and guiding us. And we must yield to the Spirit, be sensitive to His leading and submit to His control. But as important as it is for us to yield to the Spirit and to be led by the Spirit, there are times where we have a more active role to play. When we crucify the flesh, that is something we're supposed to do with the Spirit's help. And the same is true with keeping in step with the Spirit. We're supposed to do this. So what does this look like? After we've crucified the flesh, we're working at replacing the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. One way to think of this is to picture the putting off of our old self and putting on our new nature that Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. So let me just read that passage for us, beginning in verse 17 of Ephesians 4. Paul talks about the putting off and the putting on. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. 
They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, later on in the same chapter, Paul will give us specific examples of sinful attitudes and actions that we need to put off, followed by Christ-like attitudes and actions that we need to put on. For example, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. In other words, we're to put off corrupting talk and put on speech that builds up others. Keeping in step with the Spirit requires action on our part. We crucify our flesh at the heart level, and then we work to replace what we've identified and crucified with Christ and with attitudes and actions that look like Christ. Keeping in step with the Spirit happens as we gather with other believers, as you're doing this morning for encouragement and prayer, as we spend time reading the Bible together, as we sit under the preaching of the Word, in our homes, as we spend time reading and meditating on the Bible, as we commit Scripture to memory. Perhaps there are Scriptures that apply to your particular sin struggles that you're in the middle of right now. Commit those to memory. Post them on sticky notes on the walls of your house if you have to so that you're able to set your minds on the things that are above, on the things of the Spirit, so that you begin to renew your mind. Keeping in step with the Spirit involves bringing the entirety of our lives in line with what the Spirit is doing so that the Spirit's desires become our desires. What does the Spirit desire to do? He desires to make much of Christ to shine a light on his beauty and his glory. We join with the Spirit as we look at Christ and marvel at Christ. If we keep in step with the Spirit, we will worship Jesus, and the Spirit will help us to see and behold the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. As we do the hard work of crucifying our flesh and replacing it with Christ, as we worship Christ, our hearts will grow to see the truth and beauty of Jesus more and more. Our hearts will have good soil for the fruit of the Spirit to grow on. Paul has shown us the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. We can discern whether we are living in the flesh or the Spirit by looking at the fruit in our life. And he's shown us that we live in the Spirit by crucifying our flesh and keeping step with the Spirit. So finally... The fifth thing we need to know if we're going to live by the Spirit is that we belong to Jesus. As we seek to live by the Spirit, there's one last thing, and perhaps the most important thing of all that we need to remember. If you've looked for signs of fruit in your life, and your life gives, gives evidence that you have the Spirit, you need to remember that you belong to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says in verse 24. Who is it that has crucified the flesh? It's those who belong to Jesus. If you have the Spirit, you belong to Him. We need to remember that we belong to Jesus when we sin, when we fail to see the fruit we desire to see in our lives. We don't produce fruit in order to gain God's acceptance. Fruit is produced in us supernaturally by the Spirit because we belong to Christ. 
Fruit demonstrates that God has loved us enough to give us life through his Son and to pour out his Spirit so that the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now at work in you producing fruit that looks like Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, should give us confidence that we can grow and change and see more fruit produced in our lives because Jesus has given us everything that we need to keep in step with the Spirit and to crucify our flesh and to grow godly fruit. He's given us the Spirit. He indwells us and he empowers us. Knowing that we belong to Jesus frees us up to confess our sin, brothers and sisters. To confess that we long to see more fruit in our lives. Knowing that we belong to Jesus and he has given us everything we need motivates us to work hard at crucifying our flesh and keeping in step with the Spirit so that we may bear more and more fruit for God's glory. Knowing that we belong to Christ gives us the strength to get back up and keep fighting when we get knocked down in our battle with the flesh. Knowing that we belong to Christ gives us the power to fight the good fight tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that and the day after that. Knowing that we belong to Christ gives us the courage to deny ourselves and to follow Christ. Knowing that we belong to Christ changes our lives and it leads to transformation. If we belong to Jesus, we can be sure the Holy Spirit will produce fruit in our lives and we will become more like Christ. I've always enjoyed watching end-of-the-world movies where someone is trying to save the world from ending or movies for where for a season the darkness seems to prevail and then all of the life on the planet kind of shrivels up and, and the entire planet seems to be cold and dark and evil. But then at the end, the main character, of course, saves all of humanity and the movie closes with the signs of life starting to sprout up, bud and sprout to life again. This morning's text brings to my mind that kind of an image. We still live in a fallen world where people sin where we sin, where we see, and yet, when we see the fruit of the Spirit in our lives and in the lives of others around us, we see evidence of the new creation budding and sprouting in this life. We see Jesus' life, his righteousness, manifesting in our lives, evidence that we are being transformed into his likeness. We haven't gotten there yet, But later in Galatians, Paul will tell us, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. When we see the fruit of the Spirit, we are seeing the budding of that new creation. This is just a small foretaste of what we will experience in the new heavens and the new earth. Their righteousness will reign forever. But the Spirit has been poured out. And already, right now, we get to see a little of what we'll experience then as we see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control here in this life. So be encouraged, brothers and sisters. The promised Spirit has been poured out and we can bear fruit now. So pray and ask the Lord to bear more fruit through your life and through Brentwood Bible Church. And be encouraged as you remember that this struggle between the flesh and the Spirit is temporary. The Lord will make all things right. He will usher in the new heavens and the new earth. We will be free from sin on that day. Nothing will hold us back from seeing the glory of Jesus Christ as we behold his face and worship him for the ages to come. Until then, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, help us now to internalize what we have heard from your word. Help us 
after having heard your word, to now be doers of your word. Where repentance is needed, grant us repentance. Where courage is needed, needed, grant us courage, we pray. Where we need to take action, grant us the grace to take the steps that we need to take. Cause our hearts to burn within us and to burn for more of Jesus. Give us grace to turn away from our sin, to crucify our flesh, and to turn and gaze upon Christ in all of his beauty. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.